Hello, and welcome to another episode of Blood on the Rocks. I'm your host, Akshay Taylor, and today I'm going to take you back to the 800s, and we're going to talk about a rather different kind of trial, and it was called the Synodus Horrenda, also known as the Cadaver Synod or the Cadaver Trial. And essentially, this is a trial given to Pope Formosus about eight months after he died. So, hope you're excited for that. But yeah, first of all, just a quick announcement. I'm going to take next week off uh, just so I can kind of stop playing catch up and get back to regular release with the episodes. And yeah, hopefully we'll get back to those uh, Tuesday evenings each week. Let's get into it, shall we? We'll cut to music, and I'll see you in a bit. And we are back. So, let's talk about the Synodus Horrenda. And I know at least one listener that's very into Christianity that's probably going to laugh at everything I say, so this should be fun. Oh yeah, and also today I'm drinking Beardo IPA, which is 6%, and it's pretty small because I have work tomorrow. <laughs> but yeah, let's get into it. So, the Synodus Horrenda, aka the Cadaver Synod or the Cadaver Trial, was the name of a trial given to Pope Formostus. Um, some time after his death, and conducted by Pope Stephen VI, who's also sometimes called Stephen Seventh. But there's only one Stephen I'll be talking about in this. But you know, let's get some background going. Uh, I don't think there's too much, because I was lacking a little on time this week. But I'm pretty sure I've got enough there to kind of let you understand the context of it. So essentially this trial and various other events which were somewhat related, took place in the middle of the 9th century to about the middle of the 10th century. And it was a period of heavy political instability in Italy and had a, I'd say, a fast sequence of popes, but that's being generous. (laughs) As between 872 and 965, there were 24 popes. And out of these... Over a quarter were killed in violent or suspicious ways. And um, a lot of these short reigns were generally due to politics rather than faith. And there was a lot of vying of Roman factions to control the chair of St. Peter, essentially. And the period has been called the lowest point in the papacy in the past. And I can quite honestly see why. But yes, um, yeah, it's worth knowing that a lot of the... Uh, political groups and factions and stuff. Um, There's few surviving sources um, from what I can tell. So, let's talk about our main character, shall we? Pope Formostus. Formostus was a... He was probably a native of Rome and born around 816. And from what I can tell, there's not too much known about his childhood in particular, but he became the Cardinal Bishop of Porto in 864 becoming the Roman Catholic suburban diocese of Porta Santa Rufina, which essentially just means the area he was in charge of, from what I can tell. It was during the uh, pontificate of Pope Nicholas I. And 
one of the big things he did was carrying out missionary activity among the Bulgarians to great success. And um, two years later, Pope Nicholas I appointed him a papal legate to Bulgaria. And in 867, while he was serving as the legate to the Bulgarian court, Prince Bogoris requested that he be named the Archbishop of Bulgaria, which kind of, which really kind of throws in just how successful his activity wasn't among the Bulgarians. The request was denied, as the church canon forbade a bishop to leave his own uh, seat or area to undertake the government of another, as this law was essentially supposed to prevent bishops from building up their own little kingdoms or fiefdoms. Let's get forward to 875, when Louis II died. Worth knowing if you're looking up on Wikipedia, it says upon the death of Louis the Pious. That doesn't make any sense because Louis the Pious died in 840. So, yeah. Just in case you do look it up afterwards. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. When Louis II died, um, the nobles elected uh, Louis the Pious's son by his second wife, Judith of Bavaria, um, Charles the Bold, to, who was at that time, King of the Franks, to be the Holy Roman Empire. And there was a lot in that one sentence, so hopefully that came across right. <laughs> but yeah, so Formosus uh, conveyed Pope John VIII's invitation to King Charles to come to Rome to be crowned emperor. Um, and Charles took the crown at Pavia and received the imperial insignia in Rome on the 29th of December. And there was some controversy about this as there were people that favoured the widowed Empress Engelberger or her brother-in-law, Louis the German. And and obviously because of this, they didn't support the coronation of Charles the Bold. And fearing political revolution, a lot of them just kind of left Rome secretly. And Formosus had a sense that, he'd, that he managed to upset the Pope, so he fled to Tours in France. And... A few months later, in 876, a synod was held, or a gathering of the clergy, in Santa Maria Rotunda, where Pope John VIII kind of gave out a series of accusations against Formosus and some of his associates. And on April 19, he called another synod, which ordered Formosus and other papal officials to return to Rome. And when Formosus didn't comply, he was removed from the ranks of the clergy and excommunicated on the grounds that he'd deserted his diocese uh, without papal permission and had also aspired to the position of the Archbishop of Bulgaria, essentially saying that he'd corrupted the minds of Bulgarians so that so long as he was alive, they wouldn't accept any other bishop from the apostolic see, and that he and his fellow conspirators had also attempted to usurp the papacy from John. And there were more charges, which included that he had conspired with certain iniquitous men and women for the destruction of the papal see, and was conspiring against the salvation of the state and our beloved Charles the Bold, and also that he had despoiled the cloisters in Rome. And it's worth noting that as early as 872 AD, uh, which about three years previous, uh, four, four years previous at this point actually, um, he was a candidate for the papacy, and it's been suggested that, because of this, the Pope may have viewed him as a potential rival as well. And a couple of years later, in 878, uh, there was another council held at Troyes, where John may have confirmed the excommunications. 
He also legislated more generally against those who, quote, plunder ecclesiastical goods. I'm probably going to cut some of those out, but um, I just tried that about 10 times, and I think I got it right last time. (laughs) But yeah, that, um, that word essentially just means relating to the church. And according to a 10th century author, Auxilius of Naples, Formosus was also present at this council. And the authors said that he begged the bishops for their forgiveness in return for lifting off the excommunication and swore an oath to remain a layman for the rest of his life, to never enter again Rome, and to make no attempts to reassume his former see at Porto. Though um, another description of the synod doesn't mention that he that Formosus was there, uh, and says that instead that John confirmed his excommunication. So it's more like that was the case. But skipping ahead again a few years, to 882, where Pope John VIII became the first pope to be assassinated. And it's pretty certain that it was by his own clerics. And I read in one article that he was poisoned first, and then uh, his head was hit twice with a hammer. And according to someone called Barbara M. Kurtz, the assassination has been blamed on factors like his exhaustion of the papal treasury, lack of support among the Carolingians, and gestures towards the Byzantines, and also failure to stop Saracen raids. And without the protection of the emperor and other powerful magnates, the papacy essentially became more subject to ambitions of rival clans, of nobility and stuff, and there was a lot of vying for the papacy. But for Moses, the death of John VIII meant that his troubles essentially ended, and he resumed being a uh, bishop at Porto. And in 883, John's successor, Pope Marinus I, restored Moses t- to his suburban diocese of Portus, and following the reigns of Marinus, which from what I can tell lasts like a few months, uh, Pope Hadrian III, which was 884 to 885, and Pope Stephen V, which was 885 to 891, uh, Formosus was finally elected Pope unanimously on the 6th of October, 891, and he would serve until his death in 896. Now, before I move on to his end part live, it's worth noting that uh, his rivalry of John VIII essentially what formed the basis of accusations made against him at the Cadaver Synod uh, a few years later. And the Cadaver Synod is generally presumed to have been politically motivated, and it's generally seen as so, and not fa- not by faith at all. And in his last years, and as, during his reign as Pope, Formosus would crown Lambert of Spoleto, co-ruler of the Holy Roman Empire in 892, Though Lambert's father, Guy III of Spoleto, had been earlier crowned by John VIII. And in 893, Formosus, who was said to be nervous about Guy's aggression, essentially invited the Carolingian Arnulf of Carinthia to invade Italy and receive the imperial crown. Though this invasion failed, uh, Guy III died shortly afterwards. But despite this, Formosus renewed the invitation to Arnulf in 895. And early the next year, Arnulf crossed the Alps and entered Rome, where he was crowned Holy Roman Empire by Pope Formosus. Shortly afterwards, the Frankish army would leave, and Arnulf and Formosus would dive in months of each other in 896. 
and Thamosus would be succeeded by Pope Boniface VI, who died two weeks later, which um, I've seen two stories, and he died either of gout or poisoning. Shortly after, Lambert and his mother, Empress Angeltrude, entered Rome, and Stephen VI became Pope. Pretty much directly after he became Pope, the Cadaver Synod was conducted at the beginning of 897. Around January 897, Stephen VI ordered that the corpse of Formosus be removed from its tomb and brought to the papal court for judgment in San Giovanni Laterano. So the corpse was disinterred eight months after death, clad in papal vestments, and essentially tied on a throne to face all charges from Pope John VIII. And with Formosus propped up on the throne, uh, a deacon was appointed to answer for the deceased Pope. And Pope Stephen VI personally presided over the trial with a number of the Roman clergy as co-judges, uh, potentially coerced to be there. And there's no transcript of the proceedings, but um, it's said to go as follows. So once the trial started, Stephen started shouting accusations and insults and mockeries at the corpse, and Formosus was accused of transmigrating seas in violation of church canon law while acting as pope, of perjury, and of serving as bishop while actually a layman. And in between the quiet moments, uh, the deacon would occasionally put out a few weak words denying the charges. And this went on for some time, and eventually the corpse was found guilty of all counts, and it was decided that he had been unworthy of the pontificate. And it said that the Damnatio Memoriae was put into place, which, uh, and I've got a description of that, but I'll get through this bit first. And other sources say that after having the corpse stripped of its papal vestments, uh, Stephen then cut off three fingers of the right hand that had been used in life for blessings, and next formally invalidating all of Moss's acts as Pope and ordinations, including the ordination of Stephen VI as the Bishop of Anagni, yeah. which is quite an important uh, factor, as part of Stephen's reasoning for uh, desecrating the body of a previous pope, it could have been to consolidate some political alliances um, with a faction that was against Thomasus, but it's more like that it was to cover for the fact that he was essentially guilty of the same things that Thomasus was accused of, as Thomasus had made Stephen the bishop, and when he became pope, he also gained the title of Bishop of Rome, as that comes with the papacy. And essentially that would mean that he would be bishop of two places at the same time. But if Thomas was guilty, and his actions were null, then Stephen wouldn't be bishop when he was elected pope. So it's more likely that he was covering for his own ass. Also worth knowing that apparently there was an earthquake during the proceedings, which, if that's not a, like, heavenly sign of you're fucking up, I'm not sure what is. <laughs> um... Before we move on, I mentioned the Damnatio Memoriae uh, before, uh, and it's a modern Latin phrase meaning condemnation of memory in the literal sense, and it me meant that a person must not be remembered, and was essentially a form of punishment passed by the Roman Senate on traitors or others that brought discredit to the Roman state, with the intent to erase all memory of the malefactor, and the punishment was originally created by the people of Hephaestus after Aristratus set fire to the Temple of Artemis, which at the time was one of the seven wonders of antiquity. And the Romans would 
view this as worse than death, as felons would literally be erased from history for the crimes they committed. Now, it's unknown whether the dam- any damnation memorial was totally successful, which I think is for pretty obvious reasons, but just in case, if it was completely successful in removing someone from history, we wouldn't know, because they'd be completely erased from any historical records. It's very difficult to scrub someone from history, especially if they're important. Like, for example, emperors or etc. would have their faces on coins, and coins would, could travel who knows how far. But yeah, we're not talking about that. So, anyway, yeah. The trial ended, and the body was interred in a graveyard for foreigners. But this wasn't the end of it, <laughs> as it was dug up once again, tied to weight, and cast into the Tiber River. And after all this happened, most of the citizens of Rome were like, dude, what the fuck? And public opinion turned against Pope Stephen VI. And rumours started circulating that, um, I'm not sure if Thomas's body was, like, I've read a couple, two things here. And the main one seems to be that it washed up on the banks of the Tiber. The idea was that it was retrieved by a monk. But regardless, um, rumours circulated that after it had uh, essentially washed up, it had begun to perform miracles. And this essentially accelerated the decline in public opinion against Stephen. And soon enough, there was a public uprising, and Stephen was deposed and imprisoned. And not long after, in either July or August 897, he was strangled and killed. And apparently later that year, the San Giovanni Laterano, where the trial was held, uh, was nearly destroyed by a fire, which I thought was quite interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, later that year, in December 897, Pope Theodore II uh, convened a synod which essentially annulled the cadaver synod and rehabilitated Formosus and ordered that his body be reburied in this in St. Peter's Basilica in pontifical vestments. And shortly after, because of course... The next year, there was a different Pope, John the Ninth, and he also nullified the Cadaver Synod, essentially convening two synods, which one was in Rome and one was in Ravenna, which essentially confirmed the findings of Fear of the Second's Synod and ordered that the records of the Cadaver Synod be destroyed, and also excommunicated seven cardinals that were involved in the Cadaver Synod, and prohibited any future trial of a dead person. However... A few years later, Pope Sergius III, who reigned from the year 904 to the year 911, who worth knowing as bishop had taken part in the Cadaver Synod as a co-judge, overruled the rulings of Field II and John IX, and reaffirmed Formosus's conviction, and had a epitaph uh, inscribed on the tomb of Stephen VI, uh, essentially praising him. Though he also demanded the reordination of the bishops consecrated by Formosus, which Essentially, just caused a lot of confusion as the bishops also confirmed orders on other clerics and things were all over the place. It was a mess. And the decision of uh, Pope Sergius III uh, in respect to Formosus was is essentially um, universally disregarded by the church soon after as Formosus' condemnation had essentially had nothing to do with piety and pretty much was entirely pol- politically driven. Um, there is one source that writes that Sergius had the corpse of Formosus exhumed again 
tried and found guilty again and beheaded. And Aaron of Saul says, quote, Sergius indulged in no resurrection man tactics himself. Um, and a lot of us also just have no mention of the story, so it's like that didn't happen. But yeah, just to round up, um, the main interpretation of the events until the early early twentieth century was was essentially that it occurred because Formosus was always a pro Carolingian, and the crowning of Lambert in eight nine two was coerced. And after the death of Arnulf in, and the collapse of the Carolingian authority in Rome. Lambert entered the city and forced Stephen VI to convene the Cadaver Synod, partially to reassert his claim on the Imperial Crown and partially to exact some revenge on Formosus after he died. But the view is now considered obsolete as um, a guy called Joseph Durr put forward some arguments in 1932, where he pointed out that Lambert was in attendance at the Ravenna Council of 898 under John IX where decrees of the Cadaver Synod was revoked. And according to the written proceedings of the council, Lambert actively approved of the nullification. He essentially asked, to quote, How was John IX able to submit to the canons which condemned the odious synod for approbation of the emperor and his bishops? How could John IX have dared to broach the matter before the guilty parties without even making the least allusion to the emperor's participation? And yeah, essentially, uh, there was no mention of like the emperor participating at all, and it would be pretty impressive not to mention it, unless he was just kind of hoping no one would notice. And yeah, it's been accepted by another scholar as well, uh, called Girolamo Arnaldi, who argued that Formosus didn't wasn't exclusively pro Carolingian, and he had friendly relations with Lambert as late as eight nine five. And essentially, the relations only really soured when Lambert's cousin, Guide IV, marched on Benevento and expelled the Byzantines. And essentially, Formosus panicked at the aggression and sent emissaries into Bavaria, seeking Arnulf's help. And Arnaldi argued that it was Guide IV who went into Rome along with Lambert and his mother, Angeltrude, in January 897. And it was him that provided the impetus for the synod. But yeah, I think that's all I have for the story. So we'll cut to music and be right back. And we are back. So I hope you enjoyed that story. I hope it was straightforward enough. I think I made a couple bits a little bit confusing. I think it was alright. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a really interesting story. And it was one of the weirder trials that I've heard of. Even in history, and uh, there's some pretty weird trials in history. But, uh, yeah. So, let's wrap up. First of all, a reminder that I will be taking next week off. Um, just so I can work on more episodes and try to get back on track with the regular schedule. As I feel like I've been playing catch-up for the last couple months. And it's Kind of burning me out a little bit. <laughs> but yeah. And then also with a regular schedule, you, you actually know when to look for the show. Uh, yeah. Anyway, just to wrap up, shout outs once again to the Murderly website. That's murder.ly. You can find a bunch of other cool podcasts there. Gonna give a couple shout outs to people that aren't, you can't find there as well. Uh, because there's a bunch of other podcasts that I like a lot. So for example, um, 
Uh, so I'm going to give a shout out to Good Nightmare, Murderous Mindless Podcast, and I'm going to give a shout out to Seeing Red, the podcast, as they're pretty new, and you should go check them out. I think they're only on like their first like three episodes, maybe? I'll be catching up this week, so I'll find out soon. <laughs> but I really enjoyed their first episode, and it's worth checking them out. Um, there are any non-podcast shout-outs I can think of? But so, shout out to you guys for putting up with my scheduling at the moment. <laughs> um, social media, you can find us at uh, facebook.com slash rocks, Instagram and Twitter at the Bloody Rocks, email at botrpodcast at gmail.com. And we've also got a Discord chat, which I'll put in the uh, description. If you want to support the show, you can check out the Patreon at patreon.com slash rocks. And I think that's pretty much everything. Tomorrow I'm going to be chatting to Mark Bullen, who's an expert on Russian prison tattoos and Russian-speaking organized crime gangs. So you'll get that episode in a couple weeks. I think that's probably what we'll come back with. I'm not entirely sure yet. Um, we'll see. I'm, pl- I'm planning on getting a few recordings done in the next, in next couple weeks. So we'll see which one I go with to come back with, because it's also based on them, of course. Yeah, I think on that, that's everything. So thank you for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. Don't forget to tell your friends. Have a great two weeks, and I'll see you soon.